Welcome to the VITV podcast. My name is Beko, and we have, again, special guest, Sonal Shah. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Same floral shirt, because this was um, soon after the first one. <laughs> <laughs> you wore it just for me, I, I take it. I, 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 as always. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, Sonal, uh, good to have you back. And if you guys haven't listened to the first part of this episode where we do a deep dive into Micron's history. Um, uh, please go check that out. Um, and also, Sonal is a writer, uh, and um, the analysis that we that we are doing here on this podcast is based off of his writing that's published on Seeking Alpha. So please go check that out as well. Uh, and I'll leave in the show notes uh, his contact information and where you can find him on Seeking Alpha. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Beko, and um, it's nice to be back. So, Sonal, uh, before we get started, for, for, new, for new listeners, can you give us a quick rundown of what Micron does, just high level? Okay, high level, Micron makes digital memory, okay? The DRAM and NAND you see advertised in your computer, in your smartphone. DRAM is like uh, dynamic uh, random access memory, which is more expensive than NAND. NAND works a lot faster than um, DRAM, um, so it's, it's more expensive. Um, both types of memory have a wide and uh, deeper penetration in our um, digital lives. So the, the, uh, the prevalence and the demand for digital memory is increasing um, you know, daily, monthly, because of the increased depth of data and uh, digital content in the modern person's life. Micron is one of the three, the, the, the second largest um, manufacturer of DRAM, uh, of just three that represent 97% of the DRAM industry. And it's in the top five of the NAND producers in the world. And within NAND, I think, the top five uh, players represent 97% or 90% of the industry. But it's both markets are an oligopoly, by which I mean a few players which have a commanding uh, market share. And more importantly, in, in economics terms, there are barriers to entry into entering the industry. So we're going to talk more about that, but maybe it's a good time to start talking about that. Because one of the key things for any you know, attractive return on capital for any industry, as Buffett would say, it will inevitably attract new players. So how sustainable is your commanding position? How sustainable is your, your, your market share in an industry? And in, 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 in digital memory, there are two massive um, moats, to, 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 to use this term. What are the economic moats the business has? The one is the patents that have developed over the last 40 years in um, um, digital computing, in, 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 the, the, uh, in digital memory. You've had successive iterations of new technologies like um, you know, DRAM 1, DRAM 2, 32-node, 32-layer uh, NAND, 64-layer NAND, uh, NAND, and you've progressively been increasing the aerial in, in, a, in a nanometer of um, silicon, 
how many transistors you can squeeze onto it in terms of uh, the number, in terms of the, you know, um, uh, compressing or miniaturizing the transistors. And all this required patents. So the first barrier to entry is the cumulative technology that has been developed in getting to the current state of technologies. For example, we're on DDR5 is the latest DRAM that is going to be used in your 5G smartphone. But to make DDR5, you need a cumulative licensing of all the techn technology from DDR1 to DDR5. In addition to that, you can't just start a factory, okay? To get a, a semiconductor uh, um, assembly line going takes months and years of um, experience in getting it perfectly right um, and enormous amounts of capital. So the two barriers to entry or economic moats, as Buffett likes to call them, um, are, the, are the IP that the current players hold, one, and two, the monumental fixed cost in making a fab, uh, a, a, a factory that makes the current um, uh, current level or uh, mo modern DRAM or NAND, today's, today's DRAM or NAND, the amount of uh, capital cost required to make that factory. Yeah, that's, that was a good summary. I'd like to maybe throw in this one, which is in terms of the moat, you have, like you said, IP, you have capital intensive uh, aspect of just getting into this. You know, that's the that's the price you pay to play in this space. Exactly. And I'd say the third yeah. one is this incredibly complex supply chain, this web of supply chain that that you need to be able to erect, yeah. you know, you have, you know, factories in China, you got raw materials, you need to be able to source them the right, yeah. you know, right suppliers. Yeah. There's a huge, huge complex web of supply chain. That's also, yeah. you know, that takes many, yeah. many years to perfect that as well. Yeah. And, 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 and maybe this is a great time to talk about one of the fears or threats to the digital memory industry is the threat of Chinese competition. We know that China has a you know, explicit objective of being more self-sufficient in semiconductors, uh, but it's not just as easy as spending money, okay? Because the equipment that's required to make a current day uh, uh, foundry is is using extremely sophisticated uh, equipment that is just made by two or three players in the world. The etching or masking of silicon where you have a light-sensitive light um a photosensitive layer on top of the silicon in, on which you etched the the design of the transistors, the machinery that goes into that is just made by a handful of players in the world, maybe two or three players in the world. And with the U.S. embargo list and the U.S. sanctions on, you know, companies that are considered a threat, ASML is one of these companies that makes the masking technology to etch onto um uh, an, uh, an integrated uh, circuit, they have been told that if you sell to any Chinese company, you will be prevented to selling to any U.S. company. Okay, so there are massive and rising um, obstacles to China in fulfilling their digital memory or d semiconductor aspirations because there are just a handful of players in the world who have the technology technology 
um, to build it. Then there's also the intellectual property, right, that goes behind the entire process to, 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 to have the licensing to develop the current level of DRAM, you need to have the licensing of all four previous iterations. Um, and so the, 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 the big thing that people don't understand is even if you throw billions of dollars that China's government does want to throw to be on their digital Silk Road um, plan, they, they, they can't buy the equipment, quite frankly, right? Because people like ASML, Applied Materials, will not sell it to them because they risk being embargoed by the by any US company which will not be able to uh, which will they will not be able to sell to a US company if they defy the US uh, embargo list does that make sense that makes sense i mean do you think that so do you think that um, obviously it is a threat still so how should people yeah. size this up i mean Obviously, there are yeah. threats. There are there are counter yeah. measures against these threats. Sure. But then, and sure. how should we really think about them? Is it yeah? You know, is it immediate? I, okay. The, the, yeah, this is the best way to think about it. Okay, this is how I've I've thought about it, which is clearly the best way of thinking. About it. No, I'm joking. Um, the the determination of China to be a leader in AI, to be a leader in technology will not be compromised, okay? They want to be the global leader in um, blockchain, they want to be the global leader in um, semiconductors, and they do, they do not want to import $600 billion every year of US chips, okay? However, even after the billions of dollars thrown at the industry, identifying leading players and funding them, right? they have not been able to produce current quality DRAM and NAND, right? The, the, the DRAM and NAND that China is currently producing, despite the um, unconditional aid, unconditional demands that Chinese companies use their product, the, the, the quality of NAND and DRAM currently produced is two or three years behind the, lead, the, the current, uh, current products of Micron and uh, NVIDIA and AMD, etc. So there, there, there's a huge learning curve to get there. And the question of IP has already been challenged in courts. Micron successfully won a case where one engineer uh, went to a Taiwanese company uh, with all, uh, with you know, a large case of uh, Micron secrets, and Micron successfully sued the Chinese company and its American, uh, sorry, its Chinese parent for IP theft, and that company is now obliged to pay Micron licensing fees. So my view is that despite China's determination, this is not just a question of throwing money at the problem. Okay, this this is far more complex. Than, um, than buying your way out of the problem. My, my other um, source of comfort is there is no way, like, for example, the, the, the etching technology that ASM, ASML makes to, to, mask, uh, to make masks on, on chips, 
500 components are made by one or two players, like the lens that they use, right, to, to um, project the image onto the, the silicon wafer. Only Zeiss in the world makes that lens, right? So you, you, you can't replicate an entire industry, even if you're Chinese, if, because, because you're not going to be able to replicate that Zeiss lens. You need to buy it from Zeiss, and Zeiss is precluded to, from selling it to you. Um, so there are many obstacles to achieving the self-sufficiency they desire. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But it is, it is uh, interesting that you note that it's two, three years behind, which is, um, which is not a big margin from, from, yeah. from that standpoint. Yeah. But, 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 but it, what I will say is even Huawei that was obligated to buy Chinese chips for their phones, for their mobile phones, simply said, we can't use Chinese chips because they fail in quality, they fail in, um, in, in, in our quality control trust and, you know, mass production. There's so many de defects in their chips. I'm sorry, if you demand, if you oblige us to buy Chinese digital memory, our products will malfunction all the time. So they refuse, despite government mandates, to use Chinese digital memory. Mm -hmm. I think that that sort of covers the Chinese uh, aspect of this narrative. Let's, but there's also there's also non-Chinese competitors that I think we should touch on. Um, let's see. I mean, there's in 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 DRAM. There's basically Samsung, HK Hynix, which are both Korean, I, I believe, um, and in NAND there are other players. But it's basically Korea, South Korea, Taiwan, and the U.S. that make that make DRAM and NAND. Um, and over, yeah, the, the big overriding risk for which there is no answer is will China one day invade Taiwan, right? And, and, and then they would have access to a whole host of um, memory IP and manufacturing uh, facilities um, that would leapfrog their development. Uh, but I'll, I'll let Beko answer the, the question, will China invade Taiwan? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a, I don't know, that's kind of a ominous question. It's, not... I, <laughs> it's an impossible, it's an impossible question. Yeah. Yeah. But certainly there's a lot, there's a lot, lot, there's lots and lots of things at stake, at stake there for, for both. Yeah. yeah. Let's move and, on and, to. And, and, and it has global consequences, right? It's not like Hong Kong. Taiwan is far more geopolitically important than Hong Kong. Absolutely. I mean, you just look at the semiconductor industry, like the high-tech industry, a lot of it just goes through sort of these, these high-tech uh, power centers. Korea, yeah. for example, Taiwan, Japan. If one of those countries are taken out of the global supply chain, you're going to have a global shock that's unprecedented. And it's going to be yeah. a cold winter for you know, many months to come if, if that happens. So there's a lot, it's a lot at stake. For sure. Yeah. So let's talk about valuation now. Um, I'm going to dovetail the, the, my narrative of the valuation with some of Buffett's principles. One of Buffett's principles is buy a company that has rising revenue or rising, a, a rising market. Okay. 
um, we do have that. For, for Micron, we have an increasing uh, penetration of digital memory in our lives. We have a widening, um, uh, widening and deepening vectors of memory required in phones, full service driving, uh, internet at the edge, um, the, the, list, the list is massive. Um, GPUs in data centers. Um, Micron has a very rosy future. The other um, thing that Micron has recently affirmed, as, as I said in the previous podcast, is they managed to stay profitable in the previous um, down cycle, what would traditionally be a boom to bust. 2018 was the bust. They managed to stay profitable, which is um, unprecedented in Micron's past. Not in one quarter during the deep trough did they generate a negative operating margin. Okay, the best valuation ratio that I can think of, um, which is called the EV to EBITDA ratio. The EV basically means the market value plus debt divided by the EBITDA, the earnings before interest, depreciation, and amortization and tax. Okay, so the EV to EBITDA ratio of Micron was never went very high because there was always the risk of uh, a trough and losses, uh, which they have now proved to have um, shed. The best proxy to Micron, in my opinion, is NVIDIA, which has a niche in GPUs or, or uh, graphic processing uh, GPUs, yeah, graphic processing units. Um, and the EV to EBITDA ratio of um, NVIDIA is about 40 times, whereas that of Micron was four or five times a year ago and is now about 10 times. So on a valuation basis, they, there's a lot of room for a re-rating of the share. Okay, and I'll send Becco a graph, which he'll add to the presentation, which shows a, the rising trend in operating margins for um, Micron. Okay, you'll see a wave-like function, but the wave-like function is, sign-like function is pointing upwards. And B, you'll see the comparison of uh, NVIDIA's EV EBITDA ratio compared to Micron. And both are, provide lots of room. Sorry, I have to cancel leaving the sign. Both provide lots of room for a re-rating. Um, the return on capital is a key metric um, to, to, to be wary of. And Micron's return of capital is rising, A, because of the lack of losses in the down cycle, and B, because of the prospects of higher margins as we go forward. Okay, so Micron, dram prices have just begun to rise after like a one and a half year trough. And already Micron's margins are very respectable. So if, if you look at Micron's chart in the past, it, it had a, wave, a sine wave function um, where he had good years and the bad years were losses. Okay, so you went into the red and then you went back into profits. Now, as I said, they've already shed their cyclical stripes of not having a um everything just opened up on my computer okay sorry it's all off now um are you still there 
Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. okay, still good. Sorry, everybody. Okay, we're sorry. having a lot I'm of audio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. It, it's quite it's quite ironic we're talking about technology where we can't make our computers work. Okay. Exactly. Um, All right. So go. so so the the sine wave of Micron has proved to be profitable in the last downturn, and is about to rise. Um, we've seen a deepening and widening of their end demand from a whole diverse range of industries where they're not as dependent on any single industry as we've seen in you know cloud center demand in um, 2018 2019 so there you can have a, a tick in the checklist of um, deeper end markets more entrenched use in the amount of digital content used um, by, by 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 the world per capita Okay, so those are all very powerful points. Um, we also have um, the, 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 the ability to earn substantial return on capital, okay? Um, as you have reduced the number of players in the industry, you, they are finally in a position to earn a respectable return on capital. So in the past, when there were 30 or 40 players all vying for a slice of the pie, the industry was far less disciplined. And there was always the fear you'd be gonged out if you didn't have the latest product. Now you have three players who are very keen to obtain and generate a decent return on capital on a new plant that they make. A new DRAM factory costs up to three to four billion dollars. You are not going to incur that kind of capex until you know that there is sufficient demand to fill your supply, right? So the, the traditional hallmark of uh, oligopoly is the capacity to earn better margins. And we are seeing that unfold in front of our very eyes. Okay. Um, what what yeah carry on you you asked me <laughs> yeah could i um could i interject here and talk about the ratios the ev EBITDA ratio and sort of talk about sort of talk about that for for a bit and because you, you sort of use that as a way to drive the valuation for micron yeah. that it should be re-rated one of the yeah. one of the criticism of micron and memory in general is that it is sort of a commodity that it's sort of a commodity. Yeah. There's like the price. If you look at the price uh, fluctuations and and how the market market moves, it's it sort of you know behaves like commodity. Whereas Nvidia with GPU chips, it's a little bit more advanced. You know, it's it's more selective. It demands higher uh, gross margin, uh, and, and therefore it can yeah. get it can get higher higher multiple EV EBITDA ratio or yeah. any any other ratios yeah. that you want to look at. So how do you yeah. how do you square that? Okay. Okay. So. An EV to EBITDA ratio, which is, you know, EV is the enterprise value of a company, the market value plus the amount of debt you have, right? So basically the amount the company is worth market equity value plus debt divided by the EBITDA. EBITDA ratio is what we use, um, which is the kind of proxy for a PE ratio, okay? So the higher the return, the 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 growth of the company, the higher the P ratio. So NVIDIA's EV to EBITDA ratio is a lot higher than Micron's. One, because they earn higher margins, and two, they, they didn't go into losses during previous cycles. Um, 
Micron has a, a, a large opportunity to re-rate because at the moment, as I'll show you in a graph that I sent to Beko, um, Micron's EV to EBITDA ratio is about 5 versus 50 for NVIDIA. Now, NVIDIA does demand or should have a higher ratio, but that gap is just far too extreme. Micron has already showed that it will not go into losses during downturns, and there's every possibility that Micron's earn, profit margins will rise, and hence the return on its capital will rise. So there's massive room for a re-rating of Micron's shares. So what do you think is the appropriate uh, ratio there for, for Higher. Micron? Higher, higher and lower than NVIDIA. We still don't know how much money Micron will make during this next upward phase of the cycle, okay? Um, I'm not saying Micron will cease to be a, a, a cyclical play, but the slope of the up and down cycles will be in an upward direction, um, and that in itself will merit a higher EV to EBITDA ratio. It will, it, it will always be lower than NVIDIA, which is currently 50 versus Micron's 10, uh, and we don't know how much higher Micron can go. But there's no reason to um, put a ceiling on Micron at 20, 25, 30. It's all a question of how profitable uh, Micron is during the upcycle, up what the return of capital will be during the upcycle. What's also very important is that the deep boom to bust that Micron suffered in the past will now more likely be a plateau of rising earnings for a sustained number of years rather than one spike followed by a bust in the following year, right? Because we have a far more sensible supplier base and we have a far more diverse end user um, demand that makes sense so somewhere in so you suggest that a lot of it depends on what you know what we're going to see in the next coming uh, quarters about in terms of how they yeah. how they perform obviously but you're, you're sort of pegging your valuation uh you know with like maybe the 20 to 30 sort of ratio yeah that yeah so my current target for Micron. Yeah. yeah, my current target for Micron would be a tw about a twenty, a fifteen to twenty EV EBITDA ratio. Okay, um, earnings will double from here, right? Um, but but so if the current EV EBITDA is ten, it'll fall to five as Micron doubles earnings. I reckon that ratio EV to EBITDA can go to fifteen to twenty and still be a dramatic discount to Nvidia. Um, and yet have a lot of room for a re-rating, if you see what I mean. So my current target price for Micron is $200, um, and you can see my article on Seeking Alpha exactly how I got there. Uh, but I maintain that we are still in the early innings of seeing how secular and sustainable the increasing demand for digital memory is. We, we know that we've bottomed out. We know that the end user demand has widened and got deeper. How high will dram prices go? Because we, even if you started a fab today, it would take two years minimum to produce um, uh, commercial quality and quantity of memory. 
Just out of curiosity, because we're talking about NVIDIA, which, you know, produces GPU, highly specialized GPU chips, whereas NVIDIA is producing memory chips. Yeah. Have you looked into comparable valuation uh, to other memory producers? Uh, I know they're, you know, in different countries, but is there any... Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's difficult because they're, they're you know Samsung is not a pure play, um, Hynix is also not a pure play, um, and there isn't a direct proxy because seventy one percent of Micron's uh, uh, revenue is DRAM, um, and no other company has that unique um, niche. The closest proxy, in my opinion, is Nvidia. Okay, so for the the newest Nvidia chip uses three times as much DRAM as the, its predecessor. So in my opinion, the growth rates of NVIDIA and Micron will, will uh, align, right? So for every, every new NVIDIA chip that's sold, the amount of DRAM used in the new chip will be three times as much as the old chip. So the revenue growth rates of NVIDIA and Micron will start to converge. But that's just in GPUs, right? You, you've got other vectors that Micron supplies. Uh, so th there is every possibility for the, micro, uh, uh, the market to realize that uh, Micron has demands and warrants a higher rating. One other thing I should just add here, which is probably a great way to close up, is Buffett has a very detailed list of um, what he considers to be, you know, essential criteria for a, to be a Buffett pick. Um, I've mentioned that Micron has begun to show various characteristics which satisfy Buffett's checklist. And the best sign I can give you for that is his, his, his super clone, or, or, who people regard as Buffett II, a guy called Manish Pabrai. Micron is his largest holding. Um, and for me, this is amazing confirmation of my thesis because um, there is no way Buffett would invest in Micron. And this guy um, is an unashamed copycat of, of Buffett. Okay, But as I said, Buffett's whole mantra was, I don't want to invest in a business that, that does not have a 25-year history. But memory does. As I said earlier, if NVIDIA's chip or AMD's chip become the new market standard in gaming, both use as their economics memory substrate, both use Micron. So you don't have to pick a racehorse for the GPU. The DRAM that is needed for both of those GPUs is, is Micron. Hence, the technology risk that Buffett envisaged has gone. And hence, Manish Prabhai, the greatest clone of Buffett, has Micron as his biggest investment. So watch this space. I hope in the next whatever, 12 months, we may well see Warren Buffett himself take a stake in Micron. And if he does, you can all buy me a floral shirt as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great way to end the podcast. No, that was, this was great. And if you guys want to check out some of his, some of Sunil's uh, writing, please check, go check out Seeking Alpha. And I will leave uh, his information and the contact in the uh, yeah. contact in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. This was, this was Thank great. You. And if you guys want to learn more about Micron, I also did a podcast. This is a little bit old, but maybe a couple of years ago, I did a podcast on Micron that 
um, that looks at uh, some of the some of the numbers that, that we mentioned in this podcast. So return on equity, return on invested capital. We looked into that in, in a bit more detail. We looked at uh, their you know their balance sheet, uh, inventory management, all of that. So check that out also. Um, anyway, it was really good to have you again, Sonal. Despite thank you. Despite yeah. a lot of the technical difficulties, we are yeah, here at yeah. the end of this. So uh, thank you, we'll thank hope you, to see you again and, and, soon. Yeah, maybe I could just add. Sorry, that was you know very um, um, what's the right word? Shackled together by technology interruptions. Um, a, a very coherent and laid out narrative awaits you on Seeking Alpha if any of that seemed unclear. Thank you, Beko. Hope to see you soon. All right. Thanks, everybody. See you guys in the next episode.